Welcome to Cinema Insights, where passion for filmmaking meets curiosity. I'm your host, Mary, the Cinema Witch. Join me on this magical journey as we talk about the industry, intricacies of production, exploring its diverse aspects, and sharing valuable insights. In episodes, we'll delve into the art, craft, and sometimes business of the filmmaking, fostering a deeper understanding of the magic of cinema. From screenwriting and cinematography to directing and post-production, we will talk about everything. But this isn't just for seasoned pros. I want to bridge the gap and make cinema more accessible to everyone, from casual audience to cinephiles. Remember to follow Cinema Insights on Spotify and other platforms and share it with fellow filmmaking enthusiasts. Let's change the future of cinema together, one step at a time. Here goes another episode of Cinema Insights. Welcome to the first episode of Cinema Insights. For some of you who have been here for a while, you know that this podcast has started with a completely different name and with a completely different target and um, goal in mind. Uh, it used to be called the Witcher Corner Podcast, the Witchy Corner co- Podcast. And um, yeah, you know that the plan has always been to talk about spirituality and um, trash new age spirituality, basically, and just have fun with it and um, kind of bring storytelling as one of the aspects that I will talk about. However, a lot has changed in the past several months. I think I haven't been posting a lot in a few months and I haven't been posting, um, I haven't been releasing any episodes in, in a very long time. One of the major reasons why is well because of this um the rebrand and redirection of my platforms are very easy to explain i wish it was uh, you know i wish i could realize this sooner but never mind so um yeah for that for those of you who don't follow me on instagram which i highly advise um a lot has been going on i have directed my first short film the one that i've written and directed and produced everything basically it's my little baby it's my little story and uh, that made me realize that you know i have always been passionate about film and i have always been passionate about cinema but life sort of affected me in such a way that i briefly forgot about how it was and how it felt for me and you know, time went by, I've directed this thing and I've realized, you know what, I'm gonna get back into the swing of things with cinema. Here I am. Basically speaking, that's all that happened. I did post about it on my blog. Um, the entire story is, it feels like a hero's journey. It feels like a sort of three act adventure that started, what, seven, seven, no, um, I can't count nine, ten years ago. Ten years ago, yeah. I was 16 when I went to see Dark, The Dark Knight Rises. And that was the film that made me feel like, oh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And life tested me multiple times. Uh, I think life also tested my passion for film because it took me a very long time to actually recognize that this is what I want to do. Although I was 16 when I already knew it. So 16, I chose direction in my career. 17, I started my film course as a student. Then I graduated 
um, in 2019, November, October, November, I graduated. And obviously in 2020, COVID hit, the industry was closed and I've lost all confidence that I used to have about my abilities in filmmaking. And, you know, gradually since then, I worked on getting back to it. And it was a difficult process. But here I am. This is a very short story. If you want to check out what I uh, talked about in my blog post, I will leave them in the notes to this podcast. You will be able to click the link and, and have a read. Um, but this is why I am where I am. And I will talk about the purpose of Cinema Insights in uh, at the end of this episode. I do have a sort of overarching goal with this whole story. Uh, and I will explain it by the end of this episode. So stick around if you want to find out. But because I'm changing this entire shtick, um, in this episode, I want to give you a bit of a taste of how it's going to be. Because, oh my God, <laughs> a lot has been going on in the world of cinema uh, in the past month. We obviously know about Oppenheimer and Barbie. We know a lot about what's going on with the strikes. So there are a few topics I want to cover today and a few things I want to say in terms of my opinion. And this is where I want to start with my first official Cinema Insights podcast episode because that will lay the foundation for the rest of it. So what I want to start from today is from multiple discourses that I've seen online, like I've mentioned before. My favorite one this week um, has been the Film Bro discourse and the comparison of Film Bros to cinephiles and whether Greta Gerwig, who, who directed uh, Barbie, is a film bro, which to me, obviously, she's not really a film bro. I'm going to start from reading the tweet that actually took me to the Film Bro discourse of Twitter from the very beginning. Uh, the Twitter is made by Anna Biller, who's a director uh, and a filmmaker, and she said, To clarify, a movie about a doll isn't usual Film Bro territory. So smashing Film Bro cinema isn't about smashing Kubrick, but smashing the idea of who gets to make cinema and what gets talked about as cinema, i.e. a pink girly movie can be cinema. And I couldn't agree more. So I quote tweeted and I said, when I was in film school, it was impossible to discuss films without guys interjecting with, well, actually, with time, I stopped doing it. Although in 2016, I did predict the Academy Best Picture of the Year. I, I just stopped sharing my opinion and my views on cinema since then because I could not talk about what I feel. And here's the deal. A lot of people don't really understand what Film Bro actually stands for. So let me just clarify what it actually means. By general definition, a Film Bro typically refers to an individual, usually male, who is obsessed with a narrow range of films, idolizing directors like Scorsese and Tarantino, and nowadays Nolan as well. They tend to overlook films made by and for women, and have a preference for mainstream entertainment over foreign or experimental art. What you also need to remember is that these people usually don't, don't have a deeper understanding of cinema. They have developed the shallow view on what cinema as an art form is based on IMDb 100. That's what it is to me. And whenever you try to speak to people like that, it would always be, well, actually, this film is better. The, 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 uh, and they would never have a conversation about 
the deeper meaning. It would always end with shots and camera angles and stuff like that. To be honest, I have a specific example of who I think a, an ideal film bro is. I just don't want to name names because because I don't think anybody knows who this person is anymore. But at the time, he used to be one of the quite popular YouTubers in the UK segment of of that network. But anyway, that's that's who the film bros are. It's not just the people who are in love with cinema and who are passionate about it from multiple perspectives and are very interested in not only consuming mainstream blockbusters and academy winners or anything, but also are open to doing the research, uh, looking to the academic understanding of film, uh, which is the film studies area, and are open to various genres, various uh, directions that cinema usually takes. So uh, that's what I am usually mean when I speak about film bros. And those types of people are the ones who did shut me down years ago because I was so uncomfortable with expressing my opinions because I always thought, well, if I'm going to say something, then, you know, I won't be able to rebuttal because there's like three of these guys who think they know everything and then I might know, I might not know everything, but I have just a more subjective or uh, maybe a different understanding of what a particular film is about to me. And then what didn't help with this entire story for me personally is when I joined TikTok in 2020, I very quickly realized that women who are talking about, say, Marvel or DC or actually any other film or, or generally about the film industry, they get a lot more backlash and a lot more criticism from uh, mostly the male audience that stumbles across their videos. Um, people question them. People end up tagging other uh, male film industry commentators to see what they think about this or to ask them uh, to ask them to criticize something that the woman said and frankly I've lost interest in trying to pursue my passion to talk about cinema and trust me I will never shut up because that's what I do in my daily waking life I, I can guarantee you, you if you speak to my real life friends or if you speak to my loved ones and people who know me, you will you will find out quite a bit that I'm an annoying person who talks about film all the time and sometimes people don't want to hear what I think. So I wanted this to go somewhere and I couldn't allow myself because I was extremely intimidated and I've lost all confidence and frankly developed imposter syndrome, which... You know, being neurodivergent is understandable why it was so easy for me to, to develop imposter syndrome. But at the same time, I know specifically where it came from. And a lot of people don't really understand why, um, why Barbie is not a film bro movie. First of all, it is a film made by a woman, written and directed by a woman. And it has been, it, and it was done for women. Which is exactly the opposite of what the film bro movie is typically. And now the whole discourse is about these guys um, or people, the the people claiming that it is a film bro movie just because Greta is, um, is a very passionate filmmaker who knows how to make an Easter egg, who knows how to create a parallel with a, fel f f with a famous film or a famous filmmaker. And... Um, 
it is very, very clear that, well, in my opinion, she's a cinephile, right? She absolutely loves cinema and that's fantastic but she's not a film bro and that's the main misconception that people have this discourse is incredibly funny uh it's very funny to me because finally we have a film that has proven that something can be done for by women for women and still be considered cinema and not just that but absolutely smash any single record that we ever had in history of um you know, the box office weekend or a couple of weeks running in theatres. Um, Barbie is making history. Greta has made history. And obviously now that all the film bros that want that success are hijacking this success by claiming it's a film bro film, but it's not. Uh, so that's that. That's the first kind of part of something I really, really wanted to express because I am at the point in my life where I know what I think about the industry and what I think about cinema might not resonate with everybody and maybe I'm not very academically inclined just yet because I didn't have enough time to do all the research and know all the theorists but I have enough of a practical understanding of what cinema is about and how it should be done what usually goes into it to be able to talk about it the fact that I have the educational background and the ex practical experience should be enough. Um, so this is the beginning of it. <laughs> next, next topic. Very quickly, I want to talk about Oppenheimer. I went to see it on the opening night, and the show, the show, <laughs> the screening started at eight for me at eight p.m. and I came back obviously quite late. Uh, finished at eleven, past eleven, and then. I came back home and I couldn't stop thinking about it and the, the, the funniest thing is that it's, it was very hard for me to even express what I felt because the, the amount of different emotions that took over my mind and my heart and actually even my soul was very very hard to put into words. The What I will be angry about is if the sound team doesn't get any awards or if the sound production team doesn't get the Oscar for this one I'm going to be very mad because specifically sound was breathtaking in the entire film it I, I won't obviously spoil specifically uh, which scenes and why because you need to see it to understand but also because this is a spoiler free territory but I do advise you to go and watch the film in cinemas before it gets on a streaming platforms or before it gets on DVDs and Blu-rays uh, because your headphones and your laptops or other devices will not be able to replicate the feelings that you experience while watching it on the big screen. I promise you it is more than worth it to look at the big screen. And this is where the film bros will come in and, and destroy my opinion, if they come across this recording, of course. Do I think this is Nolan's best work? In a sense, maybe. It is definitely on par with Interstellar. I just feel like the story of Interstellar is closer to my heart, therefore for me it will stay as the superior film out of all the Nolan's work. But Oppenheimer does something to you 
when you don't even realize it. Um, and then the existential crisis that you experience immediately after watching the film, like I said, I couldn't even put my feelings into words for a day, I think. The film really does make you think about the stuff that we're going through and the consequences of our own actions and you know th things things like that it is it i don't i don't necessarily think that it's depressing but it is definitely thought provoking uh, something that i have never experienced in cinema to be fair although spotlight that i've mentioned in a previous segment was um also quite thought provoking at the time but even then i didn't leave with the dread that i felt after oppenheimer and Killian Murphy, I have been, like, honest to God, it's very interesting to me that people are discovering Killian Murphy only after Peaky Blinders or after Oppenheimer, and they suddenly started to see him as this genius actor. I've known Killian Murphy's work, obviously, since 28 Days Later, but also um, since, I think it's called Red Lights. It is Red Lights, yes. It's the horror film based uh, around based around the paranormal activities and stuff like that. And I remember that my mom is also a big fan of horror films uh, that kind of explore the paranormal. So me and her went together and both became big fans of Killian Murphy back then. So he's been around for ages. And I think that during and after Peaky Blinders, I've already saw the mastery that Killian has around his craft and it was very peculiar to see people discovering him only during and after Oppenheimer because you know he's been around for ages and I've been a big fan for a very long time he's done a marvelous job with Oppenheimer I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it but what and who is who completely blown my mind was Robert Downey Jr. it's I don't know. I I have no words. To be fair, it's very hard to say specifically who stands out the most. But personally, because all the supporting, the entire cast, the entire cast was genius. Uh, but Robert Downey Jr. and Emily Blunt specifically um, left a bit of a dent in my soul and in my mind because I, I don't think I will ever forget their performance in this film. So, if you haven't seen Oppenheimer, I do highly advise to watch it while it is still in a theatre run. If you do have IMAX next to you, please watch it in IMAX. I know it might be a bit pricey, but I can I can promise you, I can promise you it's going to be worth it. Whether, in my opinion, um, it does say something to you or not. So, now I want to talk about something a little bit more relevant and more pressing, which are the writer's strikes and actor strikes that are happening in Hollywood as we speak. The writers went on strike back in May and actors recently joined them. Actually, during the Oppenheimer premiere in London, a lot of the cast members from the Oppenheimer left the premiere early because they are not allowed to participate in promotions of their work for obvious reasons. And, you know, I have been watching this thing happening for a while now and I have obsessively read a lot of different opinions and, and news articles about the story um, of the strikes and it is concerning to me. It is very concerning to me that the studios started hiring AI specialists on the gigantic salary during the strikes. They didn't even try to hide it. It is concerning to me that studios executives are thinking that they can pull off 
um, pull off everything, the entire creative process, without the participation of the people. It is also concerning to me that a lot of people from the audience or casual, um, you know, enjoyers of cinema don't understand what the strikes are actually about. And they think that the strikes are about the top 1% of celebrities that we all know and love who are actors. And that they are about people like Christopher Nolan who um, write their own films. Or, I don't know, for example, the Duffer Brothers, yeah, who were really who are really successful with their own story, Stranger Things. And in reality, the strikes are not about them. I'm actually glad to see celebrities striking and joining picket lines and explaining publicly on their accounts on social media what the story is about and who we are supposed to support and why, but it is very strange and somewhat scary to see that a lot of people still don't really grasp the idea of uh, why this obsession with um, artificial intelligence is incredibly alarming. And I'm saying this knowing, um, because I had this conversation conversation with my father, uh, I'm saying this knowing that people like him, who are a a part of the film industry uh, in a different country though, but uh, they still think that some of the actors are trying to jump on the cloud train and kind of like put um, put their name out there just for the sake of gaining a bit of exposure from this, um, which actually is a very popular opinion for some reason. And another thing as well, people don't really realize what sort of an impact the current strikes are going to leave, uh, what sort of dent we're going to have in the industry once they're over, or if they're not over, what are we going to watch in the next two years? One of the articles that I've read, uh, and I will again leave the link in the notes to this podcast, uh, one of the articles that I've read um, quoted that uh, Wall Street has reported back to the studios about the gigantic profits, and based on that, studios refused to even listen to the potential negotiations and even listen to the uh, requests that the guilds are asking for, and You know, I don't understand. Is it like a human sort of error or a simple obsession with ever-growing profit blinds people's eyes? I don't know which one. Maybe it's a combination of both, actually. But obviously, as we speak right now, the profits are going to be quite big because this year we are getting so many exceptionally amazing films, especially this summer. And it's not like it's going to continue to be that way unless you allow writers to to use their talent to tell those stories, right? But unfortunately, studios don't see it that way and they think, oh, well, we've been doing so well recently, uh, so we can do it without them. It doesn't make any sense. So I don't understand whether it's just a blindness that came from the money or it's just a human error where they don't compute what's actually going to happen. And here's the thing, when you start thinking about what happened in 2008 uh, after the strikes, we, I was too young to remember, so I had to go back and I had to read about the impact that um, the 2008 strikes has left on the industry and the amount of shows that have 
been closed at the time, the amount of shows that have been rewritten, and the amount of films that didn't have finished scripts by the time they went uh, went into production was astonishing to me. And people don't realize that this is exactly what's going to happen now. And the studios are so uh, confident because they have a lot in the pipeline. But do you know what? I went on Amazon Prime the other day and I went into a specific genre or, um, you know, in, in the film section and I just scrolled down because obviously the top searches and the top results will always be the top rated, the most well-known films. But then you scroll down uh, more and more and more and the quality of the stuff that you end up watching or seeing as an option it dramatically drops this just shows that actually streaming platforms don't care what quality they put out as long as they have something to put out right as long as they have something to show as long as they keep uploading and releasing things that don't don't really matter um but and, and people don't really realize it, right? And when I say people, I don't mean everybody. Of course, there's many people who are supporting the strikes and many many people who are expressing the similar opinion to mine. But I'm thinking about more of an, a wider, casual audience that doesn't really think about the depth of, of what the, the strikes actually mean. So what I'm personally expecting from all of this in the next few years is that whatever films and series that went into production this year before the strikes happened, they will keep releasing. So we obviously will get a few films uh, in November. David Fincher's The Killer is coming out and then we are also getting Scorsese films, uh, Scorsese's film very soon. Uh, there are still very good projects coming out um, this, this year. And then a few were pushed to be done and to be released next year, um, which is okay, we're still gonna get some good stuff next year, but but then what? Are we, are, are we gonna start seeing sequels and prequels generated by AI? Are we, st are we gonna start seeing something uh, that is easier to write? So in my opinion, like the easiest form of genre um, that people can write is uh, just blockbusters. But not the Nolan or Scorsese type of blockbusters, but more uh, Fast and Furious type, where the story is very simple. Are we going to be there? Most probably, yes. And then the series will be replaced by reality TV, because again, it, there's not much writing. So all I think about now is that in the next couple of years, we're going to have uh, very simple, very bright and distracting films that will not have a lot of depth because there's nobody to write it. If Disney and other studios will hire AI specialists, there is a big, big chance that they will start developing some projects based on AI. And I don't know what to expect from that because this is a territory that we've never seen before. This is a brand new technology that we can't predict uh, and we we can't understand the behavior and the ways that it can be used in ethically. So um, it is it is a very weird situation to be in. But I think what we need to concentrate on is two things. First of all, and this is incredibly, is just funny, uh, the secret invasion that Marvel recently put out uh, has closed the series, with the, with the series finale uh, being the lowest rated TV show episode in history of Marvel. It was 13%, I believe, and um, maybe it went a bit higher now, but still 13% is 
very, very bad news for Marvel. And then the other thing is that things like Barbie and Oppenheimer has created the resonance everywhere. It's a bit hard to formulate for me what I'm trying to say, so give me a second. Both of these films created such a resonance around their releases that I believe that the audience is trying to show that this is what we want. We want this back. Please give us this. But the issue is that AI cannot create anything like that. And then studios are mistaking the whole idea. If you don't know already, Mattel, who owns Barbie, uh, the uh, intellectual property Barbie, the brand, they have said that the next step for them after the success of Barbie is to create their own cinematic universe. And when I saw the news about that, I thought, have we learned nothing from Marvel? Don't you see where the company's at and how negative the response is to the latest few projects that they've released? Have we really learned nothing from Marvel? Do we really need another cinematic universe that people won't be able to follow? Um, do we understand that Barbie succeeded not because it's a, about a Barbie doll? There is more behind that story. It's more artistic than people were expecting it to be. And this is not about the Barbie as a doll. This is not about the cinematic universe that people were like thinking about. But obviously there are already projects in pipeline. Things are being written. Things are being done. And I think Mattel is going to try. And I really, really hope... It's going to suck for, obviously, for some people and for workers, but I really hope that the cinematic universe from Mattel does not work out. Because we don't need another one. We already see two that are struggling, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC. Um, Do we really need Mattel? I don't think so. But anyway, I have been ranting for about 11 minutes now about this topic, and I can go on for longer. Um, it It is absolutely terrifying what's going on in the industry at the moment and I've never expected which is probably a bit naive of me but I've never expected to experience anything like that uh, when I decided to become a director back when I was 16. It's very strange to see my industry and something that I wanted to achieve for a while to crumble as much as it does but I mean again if there there are multiple reasons why it's going on and one of them is greed. Um, so we'll see what what happens. And I thoroughly, thoroughly hope that the writers and the actors get the deal that they deserve. The reason being because actually, some of you may know, I am in education in the UK. I work in education in the UK. And I'm part of the university and college union. Uh, which protects the lecturers and teachers across the nation. And we had our own strikes back in uh, April, March, I think, May, multiple times this year, actually. also histor- It was also a historical strike. Uh, massive support from the union members, uh, a, a huge turnout and rally, uh, multiple picket lines, and support from the students. Like, it was a historical event, basically. And when the news about the strikes started circulating um, when the management and leadership teams from the university started responding and when their union started responding the biggest thing that happened is that essentially the union of our leadership teams said the exact same thing 
that the executives in the studios are saying now is that we will not negotiate because we want them to suffer and we want them to go hungry. And it was very striking to me to see the same response from the studio execs um, because, well, I just didn't expect, although what else could you expect, right? But the fact that it it is literally verbatim the same story, the same reaction, the same, I want to punish them before I even dare to talk to them. That hate that I feel um, is very, you know, very scary. That's what, that's all I really can say. But it's very also, like I said, very prominent that it was a completely different industry. But the executives had the exact same answer, which can tell you that um, corporations don't care. So, and finally, I want to talk about Cinema Insights um, in general and what I want to do with this podcast, why I'm doing what I'm doing, and we'll see how it goes. I already briefly explained in the very beginning. Uh, what the idea is and where it stems from but here's the deal so my um, my biggest issue with how you know cinema is right now and the strikes and the mood that people are in around film is that people forgot what cinema or art is supposed to be about so for me filmmaking is a form of art whether you agree or not that's I think is a fact and people forgot that that's what it is and I think people also forgot what the purpose of art is it's not just because it's a very pretty picture hanging on the wall that you know painters usually think about what they're putting what meaning they're putting into it and same with filmmaking there is always a story a story that has a deeper meaning most of the time not now because a lot of things were commercialized and um the corporations don't really think that way because they produce quantity over quality. But generally speaking, the the cinema is supposed to be a learning experience. When when you rewatch certain films, you start learning things about yourself. You start learning things about somebody else. Like even something like Devil Wears Prada, for me personally, one of my favorite films, back when I was a kid, when I watched it for the first time, taught me one thing, and then I usually rewatch it once a, a year or something around that. That, um, and every single time I learn something else uh, about myself and about the world, about how I see the world and, and everything like that. There is like philosophical stuff to it, and uh, unfortunately for the wider audience, that's not a thing. Uh, and I'm not saying that everybody even like casual film uh enthusiasts as opposed to like no film theory that's not what i mean there are ways to it's it's it goes down to uh, it comes down to media literacy really like that's that's as simple as that so i just think that there are ways to bridge the gap between filmmakers who are thinking about cinema as a form of art and casual audience that doesn't know anything about film and bases their opinions on subjective understanding of what the life is and how they think cinema works and how they think filmmaking works. So Cinema Insights is not specifically for, uh, you know, film nerds or professionals or somebody who wants to 
become a filmmaker. I mean, obviously, it is going to be directed at them also. But the main goal here is to try to connect the two worlds together and make cinema more accessible to everyone so that we do the inclusivity and the diversity and we start thinking about cinema in a higher... Um, I don't want to say higher, like, understanding, but we start understanding it better overall. What it means to people, what it means to the audience, what it means to uh, the filmmakers, and just because, ultimately, cinema is storytelling, and story, as a concept, has been sacred to people from the dawn of time. It was a way to communicate lessons, communicate philosophies and beliefs in many different ways and I think we've forgotten that we forgot that cinema and films are about the story and the core of the art is about why we're telling these stories and what matters um, and also the reason why I think it is also important to remember the casual audience is because they forget why they're watching films it's not supposed to be just entertainment um, I mean, there is always space for that, those types of films, but even films with, that are supposed to be just entertainment, like I said, for me, it's Devil West Prada, it was supposed to be just entertainment, but because it's based on a novel, there is always a subtext, there is always something else that we are supposed to learn. So, this is the goal of my podcast, to connect two worlds together, to make cinema accessible to everybody, uh, and hopefully with time to be able to bring professional filmmakers in and have conversations with them about the, sto the, the stuff that I've just mentioned. Uh, possibly, you know, discover some new creators, discover some new filmmakers, and um, try to have conversations about cinema for everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is because it's about the story, right? So... The overarching idealistic goal that I have is to have this community that will uh, have the same passion is to fix what we we have sadly, sadly lost control over. Um, and by we, I don't mean filmmakers, I also mean the audience, because I think a lot of people who are watching films nowadays, they, they do think that um, it's not the same anymore and they want the quality back. They've been tired from the repetitive stuff for a while and have been complaining for a while. So I think there is space for these sort of conversations. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I I don't think that will change for a while. I think at the moment, because of the people I'm surrounded by, because of the students that I'm working with and because of the people that I work with, this is going to be somewhat of a goal for me for a very long time. So... Um, I know this podcast is very, very tiny, almost non-existent, and I know that not a lot of people know about it, but if you're listening to it now, and if you've listened especially to the end, um, that means a lot to me, because I think that, that means also that you are a cinema enthusiast, and that we should have these conversations, and maybe you're interested in one. Um, so yeah, if you are here at the end of this episode, almost, uh, spread a word spread a word. Let's have these conversations. Let's have the dialogue. Uh, frankly, talking to myself um, 
is difficult because I can't I can't keep track of what I'm saying. But if I get people in together, we can have very very interesting conversations. I'm sure of it. So thanks for joining in, and uh, I will see you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this cinematic journey. I hope you enjoyed this episode and maybe found out something new. Remember that filmmaking is a collaborative form of art and every voice matters. So follow me on social media at The Cinema Witch. Share your thoughts, ideas, experiences. And this has been Mary. I'm signing off for this week. Remember to follow to never miss an episode.